Welcome, welcome, curious souls, to the Macabre Emporium, your sanctuary for the unusual, the mysterious, and the appalling. Step through our cryptic doorway into a world where secrets whisper and enigmas come to life. I'm David. And I'm Sarah. Together, we're your custodians of the macabre, guiding you through tales that defy the ordinary. Discover the untold stories, from lesser-known cases of true crime to the bizarre events that captivate us. Join us on a journey to the shadows where the mainstream fades and the extraordinary beckons. So whether you seek the bizarre, the eerie, or the chillingly obscure, you're in for a treat here at Macabre Emporium. Welcome back to Macabre Emporium. This is episode 42. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome. Welcome. So, for those that are keeping score or bouncing back and forth between the cat show and the dog show, the dog show decided to have some, you know, take a shot in Indiana and say, oh, there's nothing there. It's just an empty space. Well, you two, I have some little fun facts for you, even though you're weird-ass fucking humid winters you guys talked about. Humid winters? Yeah. I don't know. It's fucking weird. They don't seem to realize there's like, some pretty significant inventions do come from Indiana. So I compiled a small list to prove them wrong that there's quote unquote nothing here and people that were pretty important to some of their interests are from Indiana. Richard Gatling, the creator of the machine gun, was born in Indianapolis and he's buried in Crown Hill Cemetery. The first washing machine was also created here in 1874. The first gas-powered vehicles were made in Kokomo, Indiana in 1894. And speaking of cars, vehicle heating and cooling was also invented here in Indiana as well. And I'm sure they really appreciate that in their weird humid winters and their hottest bowl summers as they re- referenced it too. Oh, and let's also not forget the transistor radio because without that, our little fun war wouldn't even be possible because of the, the microelectronics that were created for the transistor radio. Yeah, take that. Oh, and you know, the greatest spectacle in racing that's been going on for o- over 100 years at this point, the Indianapolis 500, oh. probably the world's most famous race. And you know, also besides Larry Bird being born here and raised here along with John Cougar Mellencamp, the Jacksons, John Dillinger, the King of Cool Steve McQueen, childhood favorite of everybody in our age group, Brendan Fraser was born in Indiana. Was he? Yes, he was. Huh. Jim Davis, the creator of Garfield from indiana as well too and you know since they want to say the only thing they got to brag about is their maple syrup this might be the most important invention to mankind and that is sliced bacon appeared in 1920 by the kingman and company meatpacking company of indiana it was the first people to make sliced bacon that is important Mm-hmm. and i'm sure they like their bacon so oh i'm sure they do as they have quoted themselves on their show as fat fox whenever they talk about food. <laughs> sure gets. I, I feel you so hard, Kevins. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, make sure you can back your mouth up with, oh, there's nothing there of importance. Okay, whatever. But what do we have that's like not an invention or a famous person? Like, what do we have that's like a big draw other than the Indy 500? Uh, so you got the Indianapolis Colts and the Pacers. What else? One of the very first theme parks in the United States, built in the 1940s, Holiday World, in Santa Claus, Indiana. But I'm saying, like, the now. It's still open. Oh, I don't know. But I'm not from here either, so I I wouldn't know any of that. But before I keep going on a huge rant about that and make this an hour-long episode on uh, proving those Vermonters wrong about things, anything fun and exciting you want to share with people today? 
Yes. So, you know, nobody else knows except for the, the person that went with me. But a few weeks ago, the place that I work at had a, like, craft bazaar. Mm-hmm. And there was a lady there that had, like, homemade wreaths and and stuff for sale. And I happened to ask her if she had any interest in custom pieces. Because I was hoping to see, because I saw in, like, the previews of the vendors that were going to be there, if she had, like, any trick-or-treat type, yeah. you know? Like, is it the movie or the, like, actual activity? The movie. Okay. And she didn't have anything so i asked her if she'd be interested in doing a custom piece and she said absolutely so i paid her there how long do you think it was about two two and a half weeks i think so uh she delivered it to my work and i was blown away i think david was blown away too yeah she did a fantastic job on this wreath i had her do sam from trick-or-treat and she went above and beyond, and it is a fantastic piece. And I told her, well, I got her permission to throw her Facebook shop out there, you know, in case any of you are wanting a custom piece done. She does ship, and it's $20, I believe, to ship to your location. She is very fair on her prices compared to a lot of people that I see right. do, like, big over-the-top reads. So I would definitely check with her before anybody else. So if you look up Secondhand Sam Design on Facebook, you'll find her. She's a very, very sweet chick. She did an amazing job. We'll post pictures um, on Facebook as well and tag her in it so that you guys can see and all that fun stuff. But yeah, that's what I got. All right. So what do you have for us this week for your Halloween themed style true crime case? Uh, something that's been on my list for a while. Right. And something that you said just last week that I would never do, which mm. I've done before anyways. No, you haven't. Yeah, I have. No, you've not. Yes, I have. Okay. What is it? Uh. What, wait, what was it in an origin story that you've done? Mistletoe. Yeah, that thing. How the fuck did that <laughs> not count? Anyways... I'm doing the origins and history of plague doctors. All right. What are you doing? If you guys haven't heard, Ginger's being a little mouthy today, screaming at me for some reason. I don't know why. She's old as fuck. I know. She probably forgets where she's at. (laughs) But anyhow. um, (laughs) I said she's old, not that she's got fucking dementia. Which usually comes with being old. (laughs) Can cats get dementia? I don't know. Uh, I'd say we could ask the Kevins, but they're dog people, so never mind. What are they? What dog people would know? Nothing. Not a lot. But anyway, I have a story about a battle in World War One. I. I know you probably got to roll your eyes, but it goes in the theme of being of the undead. It's known as the Attack of the Dead Men. Attack of the Dead Men. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll find out about that when when we get to it. And mine is going to be short because all of the sources that I read seem to be kind of copy paste of each other. Yeah, it usually is on certain. Not not much differed. So. Oh, 
And also just to prove the dog show about pronunciations and whatnot, I'm double, oh, not really doubling down, but there's a lot of Polish and Russian names in this, so. So plague itself, and this in this instance, like the bubonic plague, is caused by Yersinia pestis, which is a bacteria that is transmitted a few ways. Do you care to guess how it's transmitted? Mm, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, fuck you too. Uh, so it can be transmitted from animal to human via flea bite, contact with contaminated fluid or tissue, and inhalation of infectious droplets via sneezing and or coughing. You know, much like how any other sickness gets spread. Right. right? So back in the 17th century, plagues were the absolute most feared thing in existence. The world clearly didn't have the technology or the access to, you know, treatments and medicine that we do now. So when the plague came in, they were known to wipe out a lot of people. Hundreds of millions of people were affected, and thanks to one man in particular, there was a way to get help into the home of the sick people, and that was via plague doctors. The plague doctors came about while specializing in care for those infected with the plague. They were hired by villages and took care of each sick citizen, no matter what social class they belonged to. So they didn't prefer to take care of the super wealthy over, you know, the poor people. Like, just if you were sick, you were sick. They didn't care. They didn't care about social yeah. class. Yep. If by chance there were not enough actual doctors to do the caring, other people were hired. And by other people, I mean just... Anybody that was available. Correct. Yes. <laughs> the people that could pull off pretending that they were doctors, well. But they would go in with um, just like very simple home-cooked remedies, basically, that had been handed down for generations yeah. that were symptom relievers, but definitely not a cure for the fucking plague. Oh, so this isn't like a situation. Well, it almost could be a situation. It's like, oh, yeah, you got ghosts in your blood. <laughs> Something like that, because they didn't know any better. We'll, we'll go there. <laughs> One of the ways they would treat their patients was by bloodletting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they did usually start with that because they said that the blood was infected by... Um, ghost negative energy not not ghosts but negative energy um, they use leeches to drink the blood and would rub slimy ass toads on the swollen lymph nodes of the patient who would want to be rubbed down with slimy fucking toads not me not this bitch clearly none of that was effective the doctors sometimes had the patient drink their own pee to combat the plague not effective Oh, what a thought. Let's put, you know, <laughs> infected fluids from the, you know, the sick body right back into your body. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it didn't sound like a good idea to you? No. Yeah, well, it gets worse. When the patient was very near the end of their life, the doctors went to extreme measures and coated the patient in mercury and basically baked them in an oven in hopes that the heat would burn the sickness out of them. I and mean, that's probably if the mercury didn't fucking poison you to death first. But that didn't work either. Oh, I can imagine why. Here, we're going to 
puts this poisonous metal on you, and then we're going to bake you in an oven so it starts off-gassing like toxic vapors. Right. Jesus Christ. This is one of those examples of why the past isn't better than people want to fucking think that it is. <laughs> right. The risk of taking this job for the doctors and the non-doctors alike was huge, and it made it extremely difficult to find willing participants to even play a doctor. Many of those that took the job died or fled before they even started the job. These people had a lot on their shoulders. They played doctor, healer. They helped remove the dead bodies. They performed the autopsies. They also kept up all of the paperwork. They also kept it up to date so that the public register of deaths caused by the plague could stay up to date. Like, they were meticulous with their paperwork. It's a little surprising that they kept paperwork. Meticulous paperwork. Right. The first ever mention of a plague doctor was in a book penned by Charles Delorme in 1619. He was a physician for royals, most notably King Louis VIII of France. Though it was not actually plague doctors that were mentioned, it was the costume itself. Charles would become responsible for creating the plague doctor suit that is immediately recognizable. In Charles's description of the outfit, it included a coat that was covered in scented wax, pants that were connected to the boots, a shirt that was connected to the pants, a hat and gloves that were made from goat leather. They killed the goats to make hats and gloves. So goats is the animal that gets you upset that they made leather out of? Yep. Really? Mm-hmm. Gotta, <laughs> gotta save the goats. I know, because you want one so bad. For real bad. <laughs> but anyway. Anyways, they wore a tight fitting mask with a foot with a half foot long nose shaped like a beak. The beak itself was filled with perfume and had two holes like on the far end, the pointy end. Yeah. So that the doctor had the ability to breathe normally. That same end was filled with theriac, which is a compound of like 55 herbs and other things like cinnamon honey myrrh for them to the idea behind it was for them to breathe in and while they breathed in it would go over all of the herbs and stuff mm -hmm. and kind of filter out the bad air they were breathing in so that hopefully they wouldn't catch you know the plague I can't remember the name of it, but there was a theory that was like long believed that bad smells is what was causing illness because like it was a big belief at the time during, you know, the burial crisis of London is one of the things that was causing people to get sick and they got disproven. Mm. So they also wore glasses on the like sat at the bridge of the beak. But to me, they looked more kind of like they were fashioned into goggles to protect the eyes. Whether they were fashioned that way for a reason, I don't know. And they were also known to carry a wooden cane. And it did have a purpose. To keep those in line there. We're trying to find out. Now fucked around and find out. <laughs> no. Do you know what the purpose was for real? No. It was basically to allow the doctors to uh, undress, like move the clothing, or direct the patients, you know, point mm -hmm. to where they wanted them to go. Without ever actually having to touch them. Yeah. Charles DeLorme believed that all of this gear would help protect the doctors wearing it from the plague that was affecting the people of Europe. He thought the shape of the beak would give the mask wearer ample time to breathe in. 
have that intake of air kind of steep in the herbs before it got to the doctor's nose, like I said. Even with all the care and thought put into the costume, it did little more than bring about represent representation of the plague and death itself. The costume often just terrified people. Right. Which, it, understandable. In the end, it really didn't do anything to protect those that wore it. As I said earlier, they either died or they fled. Now, the Plague Doctor costume is a really popular one, especially since the first case of COVID came to light. The thought is the same, but the gear just looks a little different. So the beak mask got switched for an N95 mask. The goat leather gloves, rubber gloves, the leather hat, surgical cap, the jacket and pants, you know, scrubs. Yeah. So maybe Charles DeLorme wasn't far off with PPE. He was just ahead of his time and didn't have the, not the knowledge, because he had, you know, it was there. Yeah. He didn't have the resources to do it properly. But even with that, the original look of the Plague Doctor remains a popular costume, like I said, and so much so that when COVID became stronger and more and more cases popped up worldwide, people would be seen walking around in the costume trying to scare people on purpose. At one point, they had called it Spring Fashion 2020. You know, the news on people over in Italy and Europe just walking around in Plague Doctor costumes. I guess it was the thing to do in 2020. Right. The Plague Doctor started to pop up in video games like Bloodborne, Apex Legends, Overwatch, My Hero Academia. It was also featured in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, but that doesn't count since those games are literally made to be played in the era that that, you know, right. that would have been made in that era. So it would be relevant to them, not just in there because, mm -hmm. oh, Plague Doctor. Yeah. Uh, do you know who the most famous Plague Doctor was? No. Nostradamus. Really? Yep. Yep. He was. I did not know he was supposed to be. He was a Plague Doctor. He was a Plague Doctor. Yep. But that's all I got. Like I said, a lot of my sources were very copy-paste, so I had to do a lot of trying to find shit that wasn't, you know, copy-paste. Yeah. That wasn't easy. Well, I'm sure it's now when we go farther and farther back in time uncertain stories like that correct so you're ready to hear about the attack of the dead men so kind of like zombies almost i am all right even though sarah isn't really interested in world war history except maybe the goofy story about the sliced bread ban i did earlier this year which i need to find more like that but for this week i'm bringing you a story from world war one that fits into the halloween theme of the dead rising from the grave but before we get to the main event of this week, for me, I want to give a brief summary of World War One. Just, you know, a refresher, quick, you know, super quick. So World War One, also known as the Great War, started in 1914 after the assassination of, Arch of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria. His murder catapulted into a war across Europe that lasted until 1918. During the four-year conflict, Germany, Austria, Hungary, Bulgaria, and the Ottoman Empire fought against Great Britain, France, Russia, Italy, Romania, Canada, Japan, and the United States. Thanks to new military technologies and the horrors of trench warfare, World War I saw unprecedented levels of carnage and destruction. By the time the war was over and the Allied powers had won, more than 16 million people, soldiers and civilians alike, were dead. So, even when you know, I came up with that little brief... So when I came up with that small brief introduction, they actually said how World War I was actually caused by a wrong turn, but that's something for another day. 
Osovich Fortress was originally constructed in the late 19th century on a strategic spot near the Bezbar River in the Russian Empire, which is now modern-day Poland. This fortress was also conveniently located on a rail line that went through all the bogs and marshes in the region, and, and its location so close to the German border would make this a choke point for moving supplies and troops for both forces. German forces attempted in 1914 to take Osovich Fortress, but were unsuccessful in trying again in February 1915. This second attack did damage the fortress severely, but its main defenses held until the Russian counterattacks forced the Germans to break off from the fighting. That same summer, during the Gorlik Tartanov offensive, caused the Russian forces to become off-balance, making it easier for the Germans to advance forward and take Poland in a frontal attack, and this would then make Osovich a prize to take from the Russians. The German High Command ordered General Field Marshal Paul von Hindenburg on the offensive. Under his command, he would send 12 infantry battalions and 30 heavy artillery pieces to set their sights on Osovich Fortress. And to give you an idea how many men that is, that's seven to 8,000 people is what they estimated. That, damn. So the Russian offensive that was inside the fortress was led by General Lieutenant Vladimir Kolinsky with 500 soldiers and 400 local militiamen to keep the Germans from taking the fortress. So they are very well outnumbered. Yeah, sounds like it. So outmanned and outgunned, they dug in with trenches and barbed wire in front of the fortress preparing for the Germans to attack also making them a smaller target by hiding in these trenches. With their failed attempts in the past to take the fort, the Germans knew they would need more than artillery to take this fortress. As they learned from previous attempts, artillery fire and bombing runs with airplanes weren't effective and they just couldn't send the infantry to storm Osovich Fortress as it would be difficult and costly to do so. The Germans would use a new brutal weapon that was birthed from the Great War, and this weapon would be gas. Even though gas warfare was fairly new, it still had devastating effects. The more infamous mustard gas that most people know about didn't appear until later on in World War I, which that can cause blistering of the skin and second and third degree burns. It also had a lower mortality rate of 2-3%, to 3%, but this would more than likely cause cancer in those that survived later on in their life. The earlier gas the Germans used on Osovich was a mixture of chlorine and bromine, Separate, they can have devastating effects on your body, but when you put them together, it's it's a bad day. Damn, I bet. Roaming vapors can cause irritation to your eyes, nose, and throat, causing pulmonary edema or fluid collecting in your lungs in plain Eesh. English. Yeah. Whereas chlorine can do all the same effects, and the smell is described as a mix of pepper and pineapple, but when chlorine attaches itself to moisture in the air, it turns into hydrochloric acid. Oh. So with the Germans mixing these two together... The bromine would act as an irritant where the chlorine would then attack the soft tissues, burning the lungs and dissolving the soft tissues inside your body. So That's you're, brutal. Yeah, so you're, they basically were burning them from the inside out. Ugh. In the early mornings of August 6th, approximately around 4 a.m. is what they've guessed when this, happened, when this attack started, with the winds in the favor of the Germans, they would begin to release this poison gas mixture onto the battlefield, killing everything that it touched. Grass and leaves would turn black and yellow, killing all insects, wildlife, anything this fog touched, killed. Damn. As the dark green fog crept across no man's land and down into the trenches, those unfortunate to be stuck in the trenches would end up dying from choking on their own blood with every breath that they took as the chlorine turned into hydrochloric acid inside of, their, inside of them, destroying their lungs and burning their eyes and their nose as well. So, like, I can't imagine. Fuck no. No. 
So with them pretty much being burned alive from the inside out, death was within minutes if they didn't take their own lives and attempt to get to stop. God damn, I can't, no, I can't even imagine. Russian forces would soon see this cartoonishly dark green fog creeping towards them from... Is it actually green in color? Yes, it's, of all the reports, it's green in color. Huh, okay. And without them having gas masks available, would improvise with rags or clothing soaked in water or their own urine attempts to protect themselves against the killer fog, but it proved to have little or no effect on the gas because though both of those materials are also water-soluble. Mm. Which is odd because one will turn into an acid when it comes in contact with water. But then again, it's also water-soluble too at some point. So Yeah. As the gas dispersed, German infantry battalions would start to form up their ranks to take off Savich, while others would now secure the railway they wanted to take months before. In the first trenches, German soldiers would find them littered with the dead and tortured in the last moments as they died. Now on edge and moving over the shelled-out ground from artillery fire to the second trench with still no resistance from the Russian forces, they suddenly find themselves under heavy machine gun fire and artillery from their fortress tearing through, the, through their German ranks. Those who survived the gas attacks would then end up crawling and emerge from the trenches, stumbling and limping around like zombies with bayonets attached to their rifles, with bloody rags over their faces, their tears stained with blood, giving them a red appearance, you know, seeping out of their eyes, and disfigured faces from chemical burns and coughing up blood and pieces of their lungs, they sought their revenge for their fallen comrades. Kotlinski would lead this charge in taking the fighting now to the Germans with no plan but to survive and avenge their fallen. The Germans seeing these dead men would ri- rising from their deaths and then attacking them would turn and run at the horrible sight of the Russian gas soldiers, trampling each other, even falling into their own barbed wire trying to get away from the zombie soldiers in the midst of the machine gun fire and artillery bar- barrages from the fortress. In the midst of the fighting to the first taken trench, Kolinsky is shot through his side and hands off command to a sapper, Vladislav Straminsky, as Kolinsky is carried to safety by another soldier. With Straminsky now in command, they quickly take the remaining trenches back from the fleeing German soldiers where they find hundreds of their fallen comrades from the gas. This only fuels them even more to push the Germans back. Later on in life, Straminsky would later say, I cannot describe the bitterness and fury with which our soldiers marched against the German poisoners. Strong rifle and machine gun fire and densely bursting shrapnel could not stop the onslaught of enraged soldiers. Exhausted, poisoned, they charged with the sole purpose of crushing the Germans. There were no laggards. No one had to rush. There were no individual heroes here. The companies marched as one person animated by only one goal, one thought, to die but take revenge on the vile poisoners. By 11 a.m., the remaining Russian forces would have their defensive line back in their control and have Germans pushed back to their starting positions. Unfortunately, Vladimir Kolinsky would die from his injuries later that evening. And two weeks later, the Russians would have to abandon the Osovich fortress under the threat of being surrounded by German forces. The exact number of casualties from the days are unknown. Newspapers would go on to call this battle the Attack of the Dead Men. Vladimir Kolinsky would be awarded the Order of St. George for his actions that day, and he was only 21 years old. What What is that? It's probably their equivalent to the Medal of Honor. Okay. It was my guess because I could not find a comparison. Okay. 
Lieutenant Vladislav Straminsky was awarded the Sword of St. George for his bravery during the attacks and survived World War I to go on to be an influential painter in Poland until his death December 28, 1952. I know, you probably heard the name of the group Sabaton. Mm-hmm. They actually have a song called Attack of the Dead Men about this battle. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I've never heard about yeah. this. I don't know how much you know about them. They actually, a lot of their songs are... Not much. Like, military-related. Never would have known. Like, one song that they have is called Night Witches. It's about a all-women's Air Force regiment. I'm not sure the correct term. Russia, and they were given, like, the shittiest planes ever. And the Germans gave them the name Night Witches because of how terrifying they were, too. Because they were <laughs> fucking the Germans up with these shitty-ass biplanes in the middle of the night. It's because they put women in control. Yeah. Which is probably a really good story for maybe you to look into sometime. Mm, I can I can look into it. But yeah, that's the attack of the dead men. Is you know, so they come that's back as that's fucking sad and terrifying. Well, that's the horrors of war. I mean the Geneva Convention eventually, I think it was ten years after this, they banned all chemical uses to be used in warfare. Yeah, that's after seeing the effects of it. Oof. Which is and, really like good. how quickly did it kill people? Probably like Minutes? Yeah, minutes. Probably varies depending on how much they breathe in. And that was probably an agonizing oh, I'm sure. few minutes. Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, I, <clears throat> is, you know, I probably did the same thing too, seeing that crawl up out of trenches with, you know, fixed bayonets on rifles. Fuck and, yeah! That was very interesting. Yeah. I figured you'd be like, oh God, a fucking war story. No, because I know that when you tell me stories about things that I don't particularly find interest in that you always find a way to pique my interest. Right. So, bravo. Way to go, homie. Thanks. Welcome. But on that note... Oh, yeah. One thing I forgot to bring up at the beginning of this episode. Last week, we put out our new intro that I made. Yes. And we would like to know what you guys think of it. So... On Spotify, you can leave a comment there on an episode or, you know, the Facebook group that we have, you mm-hmm. know, Cabin Porium Podcast on Facebook. If you haven't joined us, you really should. You should. I'm always posting stupid, goofy shit in there. You are. Plus, you get to see pictures of all the stories we talk about if we can find one. Yeah. There's been a couple that really aren't many pictures to go along with. Right. Oh, and as a disclaimer to last week's episode, the picture that you used for Magdalena Solis, mm-hmm. there are two pictures of two different women, if you Google her name. Neither one of them are confirmed to be Magdalena Solis. They are suspected to be. okay. So, don't know for sure if either one of them are her. So, the one I used in the video is not the one that you posted. Okay. So... It could be either or, and it could be neither one, you know, neither of them. Right. So, we don't know. Or it could be someone of the same name that can yeah, right. charge with something completely different. Right. We don't know. But anyways, just thought I'd throw that out there. It's a good thing you remember that. And, yeah. And, you know, Sarah's also mentioned that we have a TikTok now, too. Oh, yeah, TikTok-y. You know, most shows do this stuff at the beginning, at the end. Yeah, well, we're we're not most shows. Right. <laughs> we don't follow the cookie cutter pattern at all, do we? Let's no. be honest. We're just weirdos yeah. that talk. And do our own thing, screaming into the void. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, I think it's time we close the Emporium up for the day. I agree. So until next time. Remember to creep it real. Okay, bye. Bye.
Bye. Please check out our website at macabreemporiumpodcast.com. Join our Facebook group by searching Macabre Emporium. Like and subscribe on YouTube at Macabre Emporium Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Macabre Emporium. And if you have any stories of the paranormal, your local true crime, or weird history that you would want us to look into and possibly do an episode on, email us at macabreemporiumpod at gmail.com. Remember to follow, rate, like, review, and share whenever and wherever you can and help us grow our little baby podcast. 